Happy Thanksgiving. It's great to see you all today. I want to tell you a story, Thanksgiving story. There was a dad in Jacksonville, Florida, called his son in San Diego, California on the day before Thanksgiving. He said, son, I hate to ruin your day on this day before Thanksgiving, but I got to tell you, your mom and I are, are done. We've had it. We're getting a divorce. 40 years of misery is enough. The son was appalled, speechless, couldn't believe it. Finally, he managed to stammer out, Pop, this can't be. I thought you and mom had a great marriage. The dad said, we're sick of each other. We can't stand the sight of one another. And I'm sick of talking about this. So you call your sister in Denver, I'm done, hung up. Frantic, the son picked up the phone, called his sister in Denver, told her what had happened, and she exploded. She said, there is no way this is happening. You stay right there. I'm going to call dad back right now. She picked up the phone, called, and as soon as her dad answered the phone, she just absolutely screamed into the phone, what are you thinking? You are not getting a divorce. Don't you do one thing. I'm calling my brother back. We will both be there tomorrow. Don't you do one thing. Do you hear me? And then she slammed the phone down. Man turned to his wife and said, Honey, both the kids are coming home for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and they're paying their own way. <laughs> we have been on a journey into the book of Philippians. Now, we haven't gotten very far. I recognize that. We'll speed up. At some point, probably not today, but we'll speed up and get on through this, but we're working our way through a series that I have entitled, Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. And I thought on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, that's something we ought to be grateful for, don't you think? That life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. Your life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. My life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. Your family doesn't have to be perfect. Your marriage doesn't have to be perfect. Your kids don't have to be perfect. Your church doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful. The people in your life, the circumstances of your life, none of those things have to be perfect. Life can still be wonderful. That is the message that the Apostle Paul is telling us here in the book of Philippians. But even though he tells us that life doesn't have to be perfect to be wonderful, experiencing that is not automatic. Not even for Christians is it automatic. The only way we can get in on this reality of life being wonderful, even when it's not perfect, is if we have built into our lives some theological foundations, some biblical principles and precepts that have become the spiritual underpinnings of our lives. And that is what we've been looking at together as we have been looking 
at the first two verses of Philippians chapter 1. I hope you are learning these two verses. <laughs> We're going to continue to read them together. I want us to read them together this morning. You have it there. It'll be on the screen. It's in your message guide. Paul writes beginning with verse 1 and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, along with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. These two brief verses Paul gives us so that we make sure we understand what these foundations are, what these spiritual underpinnings are, these fundamentals, these basics of the Christian life. Paul writes these verses to help us understand what it means to be truly Christian. And this is really important. It's really important because real Christianity, biblical Christianity, New Testament Christianity, too often has very little to do with what many of us have grown up with in our contemporary often very materialistic, often very self-centered, safe, comfortable, non-controversial North American version of Christianity. You see, the difference between the Christianity that we find in the New Testament and the Christianity that many of us have grown up with and become accustomed to is often so different, the difference is so great, that it sometimes appears to be the difference between night and day. And that is why Paul cannot even begin, really, talking to us about how to get in on this wonderful life until he gives us this incredible description, this extraordinary description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he makes it very clear that unless and until these foundations become an integral part of the spiritual underpinning of our lives, that we have not understood the most basic elemental things about what it really means to be a follower of Christ and will never be able to experience the reality that life can really can be wonderful. Wonderful. Even when it's not perfect. Now, foundation number one that we looked at together, and I'm going to do a brief review here today. I want to try not to take too much time, but I do want to get us caught up. Foundation number one was my posture before Christ Jesus. Verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1, the first part, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. My posture, we saw, my, my posture before Christ must be that of what? Of a servant, of a slave. I bow to his lordship. I bow to his absolute ownership of my life. I bow to his lordship over my life. I have no will of my own. I have no life 
of my own. Jesus gets my constant availability, my instant obedience. My supreme goal in life is to please Him. And my very identity in life, my purpose in life is wrapped up in my relationship with Him. My posture before Christ is that of a servant, a slave. Last week we began to look at my position in Christ. And we saw that just as our posture before Christ is the posture of a slave, our position in Christ is the position of a saint. You're a saint. I'm a saint in Christ Jesus. We spent some time last Sunday trying to dispel some of the common notions of what it means to be a saint. And hopefully we came to the understanding and the realization that according to the New Testament, a saint is a person who has been set apart by God. You've been set apart by God. I've been set apart by God. This is a truth that applies to every Christian. I have been set apart by God for His purposes. I have been set apart by God for His plans. I have been set apart by God for His pleasure. This is what it means to be a saint in Christ Jesus. Did you know that the most common word or the most common way of describing a follower of Christ in the New Testament is not the word Christian. As a matter of fact, depending upon your translation, the word Christian appears in the New Testament a maximum, again, depending upon your translation, a maximum of three times. Neither Jesus nor the Apostle Paul ever used the word Christian, at least not in their recorded teachings. The most common description of a follower of Christ in the New Testament is that he or she is a person who is, watch this, in Christ Jesus. Paul uses that phrase, in Christ Jesus, or it may just be in Christ, or it might be in God, or in Him, some variation, 164 times just in His writings. Church, that means that understanding what it means to be in Christ is absolutely indispensable to understanding the New Testament. It is absolutely indispensable to understanding what it means to be a believer, to be truly Christian. And I'll tell you, this week I have wrestled, I have struggled with trying to define what it means to be in Christ Jesus because th these are some deep theological principles, some deep stuff here. So we need to be ready to go a little deep here. I'm going to try to make it as simple as I can so that we can all understand this, but to be in Christ Jesus or to be in the Lord or to be in God or to be in Him means that I am absolutely united with Him. 
It means I am inseparably connected to him. It means I am intimately joined to him so that his life, the life of Christ, flows into my life and flows through my life. The best illustration I could come up with of what it means to be in Christ Jesus is really an illustration that Jesus himself gave in John chapter 15, verse 5. Look at that verse with me. Jesus said, I am what? The vine, you are what? The branches. Watch this now. If you remain where? In me. If you remain in me and I remain in you, now your life is going to be productive. Now your life is going to become what my heavenly Father has designed it to be because you will begin bearing spiritual fruit in your life. But let me tell you this, if you're not in me, if you are not intimately connected to me, if you are not inseparably joined to me, if you are not united with me, you can do what? Nothing. That is how important this is. That is, that is what it means to be in Christ Jesus. See, we're not talking at all here about what we believe. We're not talking at all here about how often we come to church. We're not talking at all here about all of the religious activity that we might be involved in. All of those things are great. We ought to do them. We're not talking about being able even to give all of the deep theological answers to all of the deep theological questions. Listen to me. What distinguishes me as a follower of Christ, what distinguishes me as a believer is not my creed, it is not my code of conduct, it is not my religious ceremonies. What distinguishes me and sets me apart as a believer is Christ. Me in Christ, Christ in me. I want you to look at a critical verse here, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And it is a critical verse. Paul is writing again, and he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now watch this, I've got it underlined. Continue to live your lives in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with what? Thanksgiving. Is there any more perfect verse for the Sunday before Thanksgiving? Paul says here is why we should give thanks. It is because we are in Christ. But more than that, 
We need to stop and realize something that Paul is saying here. And I'll tell you, I, I don't know... I don't know any other way to say it, I guess, except to just say it. (laughs) So I'm going to say it. I am appalled. I am appalled at the number of people who walk into churches just like this one every Sunday all across America who call themselves Christians but who have absolutely no idea what this means. None. All they know is that at some point in the past, they said a prayer, probably led by someone else. We can repeat it, can't we? Dear God, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sin. Please forgive my sin. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. And then they walk down an aisle in some church. They shake some preacher's hand. They get baptized. Then they usually get a list of things they should do, like come to church. Read your Bible. Be a good person. Maybe they get a list of things they shouldn't do. Don't cuss. Don't drink. Don't have sex outside of marriage. And then guess what? We tell them that they're in. You're in. You made it. But there is no intimacy with Christ. There is no prayer in their lives. There is no real understanding of the Word of God. There is no growth in the objective reality of Christ in their lives. There's no nearness to God in their hearts. No wrestling against sin. No struggle against the old nature. No sense of the direction of the Holy Spirit in their daily activities. And yet they file into church every Sunday with a Bible in their hands. And they're involved in a hundred different activities. And yet they're not even bothered by the fact that they don't know God. It's our fault. Because that's what we've told them. Do this. Check off this box. Do these things. Are they in? No. 
says here, and he makes it very clear in this verse from Colossians, that it is not enough in some kind of ritualistic way to say that I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I have to live in Him. I have to be rooted in Him. I have to be built up in Him every day. He has to be the foundation of my life. And let me tell you, He is saying to me today, and He is saying to you, come and know me. Come and know me. Let me walk with you. Let me change you. Let me deliver you. Let me fill you. Let me flow in you and through you. Let me stretch you and shape you and mold you so that your life becomes a reflection of my life. Your desires mirror my desires. Your character reveals my character. That's what it means to be in Christ. I am so joined to Him. I am so intimately connected to Him. I am so inseparably joined to Him that everything He is, I become. Here's the big, here's the big idea about what it means to be in Christ. I'm going to give it to you in a simple sentence. Here's the big idea of what it means to be in Christ. It means that everything that is true of Christ changes everything that is true of me. That's what it means to be in Christ. It means that everything that is true of Him changes everything that is true of me. Because He is holy, I am holy. Because He is faithful, I am faithful. Because He is obedient, I am obedient. Because He is forgiving, I am forgiving. Because He is merciful, I am merciful. Because He glorifies the Father, I glorify the Father. Because He gave His all for me, I give my all for Him. When I am in Christ, everything that is true of Him changes everything that is true of me. Is that true of your life? Is that true of you? You. Is it true of you and you and you and you? Is it true of you? Is it true of you and you? Is it true of you? Is it true of you? Has, is everything that is true of Christ changed everything that is true of you? That's what it means to be in Christ. Doesn't matter how much you believe. It doesn't matter how often you come to church. It doesn't matter the kind of good life you live. We're not talking about 
whether or not you're in church. We're talking about whether or not you're in Christ. Yesterday, my citadel bulldogs. I'm fixing to. Fault, the number one ranked University of Alabama Crimson Tide to a 10-10 tie at halftime. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to call up ESPN. I wanted to call up, uh, you know, the folks who do the ranking and say the Citadel needs to be ranked at least number one, co-ranked with Alabama. Because nobody's held Alabama to 10 points the first half and tied them. Awesome. They need to be ranked at least co-number one. Right? That makes sense. They fought the number one ranked team in the nation to a 10-10 tie at halftime. That was about halftime when I had to go do some other stuff. (laughs) So it wasn't until later that evening when I was checking scores that I realized the final score was Alabama 50, the Citadel 17. Now some folks might say, hey, it was a moral victory. Well, it goes into the column as an L. Doesn't matter how great they played the first half. Doesn't matter if I think they needed to be ranked number one after the first half. When it was all said and done, they lost the game. And they lost it big. Here's my concern. My concern is that there are a lot of folks who have convinced themselves that they have done everything that is necessary to win in the game of life. Come to church. I bring my Bible. I've been baptized. I serve in a hundred different ways. But my fear is when we stand before the judge of the universe, when the clock runs out, it's not even going to be close. And it goes into the column as an L. It is not my intention this morning in any way cause anyone to doubt your relationship with Christ. If you're confident in who you are in Christ, I will affirm that with you this morning. And I pray that is the case for every single one of us here. But too often we measure that by the external things that we do and not by the condition of our heart and our relationship with the one who came to change all of life. Again, the question is not, are you in church? I'm glad you're here. The question is, are you in Christ?
Now, I'm going to stop right here this morning because I just feel like it's the thing to do and give us a little bit of extra time this morning. I want you to bow your head with me. And I want us to spend some time before our Heavenly Father. Oh God, how I thank You this morning for Your Word. I thank You for this time You've given us. And Lord, I pray right now if there is anyone within the sound of my voice who has said, yes, I believe in Jesus. Maybe they've been baptized. Maybe they've involved in a lot of stuff in the church. But their mind is literally haunted at night when they lay down because they know something is missing. Father, I pray if there's anyone like that here today, that today would be the day that they would open their heart and their lives to you. They would recognize, Father, your son, Jesus, absolute lordship and ownership over all of life. They would want to move past intellectual knowledge to intimacy with you. They would want to move past the trappings of religion to enter into a real, vital, growing relationship with you. Maybe there's somebody here today, Father, who's never done that even for the first time. Never come to the foot of the cross. Never acknowledge their need of you. Never open their lives fully to you. Never given up their will for your will. Never given up their life for your life. Father, I pray that today would be that day. That we would stop playing games. That we would stop acting like everything's okay when it's not okay. We would get real with you. And Father, for those here who are secure in that knowledge, they know where they stand in relationship with you. Lord, I, I ask that those of us who would say, that's, that's where I am, Lord, that we would ask another question. Is everything that is true of Christ changed everything that is true of me? And if it hasn't, if there's some area of life where we're not holy and righteous and pure and obedient and faithful and merciful and forgiving, and committed and sacrificial. And Lord, I pray today we would open our hearts and that area of life to you and we would say, Lord, please make true of me everything that is true of Christ and may it change my life today fully, finally, forever. So Lord, we give you these moments today. I don't know how you might want to move, but I pray, Lord, if you've spoken to hearts today that that we wouldn't hold back, we'd be responsive, we'd be obedient. We would allow you to do what you want to do in our lives as saints in Christ Jesus.
is the prayer that we offer in His name. As your heads are still bowed for just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and this altar is going to be open. I encourage you to come. If you need to do some business with the Lord here, you can, of course, do that right where you are. It's not the position of your body, but it is the position of your heart that God is looking for this morning. If I can pray with you, encourage you in some way, I'm here to do that. If you need to find out more about what it means to be truly Christian, be a genuine follower of Christ. I'll stay here as long after the service is over today as I need to. There'll be other staff here to pray with you. So as we stand now, if you'll join me in standing, in a spirit of prayerfulness, would you let God speak to your heart and would you respond as He speaks to you as we sing this morning?